Well, good morning, church. Well, as Pastor Richard said, we're going to be looking at Deuteronomy 6 this morning. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers uh, here this morning. And, and we're going to be looking at Deuteronomy chapter 6 and specifically what God's Word says to parents in this text with an emphasis on fathers. So if you're able to, would you please stand one more time for the reading of God's Word. We're going to read the whole chapter, chapter 6. God's Word says this. Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today, all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you, ride, and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, take care, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you and he destroy you from the, off the face of the earth. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massah. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes which he has commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may go well with you, and that you may go in and take possession of the good land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers by thrusting out all your enemies from before you, as the Lord has promised. When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous, against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there, that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for 
your word. Lord, we thank you for the Holy Spirit that indwells us as believers, that allows us to hear and to understand your word. Lord, please teach us this morning from your word. Lord, please be gracious and speak uh, through me this morning, Father. Lord, I pray for for all parents and fathers and grandparents in the room, that we would be challenged from your word, that we would be encouraged by your word, that we would be transformed by the power of your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so there's, a, there's, there's an epidemic in the United States right now in our country, in our culture, and it's one of fatherlessness. So here's some statistics about fatherlessness in the United States right now. About 25 million children, one out of every three, live without a biological father. By the time kids get to first grade, so for first through 12th graders, that number jumps to 40% of children in our country who live without their biological father. Almost half of all children today are born outside of marriage, and that's up from 10% in 1970. 85% of people in prison today grew up in fatherless homes 90% of youth who run away and become homeless come from fatherless homes children from fatherless homes are twice as likely to drop out of school and they're also twice as likely to commit suicide so fatherless fatherlessness is an epidemic that has a great impact on a society I think we're seeing this in our own culture and throughout the world. And as Christians, we're called to, of course, be there and actively parent our children, actively father our children. But as Christians, we're called to something even more than that, something even greater than that, than simply being present. But we're called as fathers to take responsibility to raise our children, as, as Pastor Richard read earlier from Ephesians chapter 6, to raise our children in the fear and an instruction of the Lord, to take responsibility for our children's own spiritual growth, for our children's own discipleship. And so I'm saying this this morning as a brand new father. I'm not preaching anything this morning from any experience at all in my own life, but simply from the Word of God. And, and, and really, I'm preaching to myself this morning as much as I am to any other fathers in this room. And I'm, and I'm thankful for a church community, for a congregation, for, for pastors, fellow pastors who are going to hold me accountable to God's Word with my children. And so look at verse 2 again in Deuteronomy 6. This is what we're talking about this morning. Look at verse 2 again. It says that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your sons and your sons' sons. You and your sons and your sons' sons. What the, what the Bible is describing here in Deuteronomy chapter 6 is a legacy of faith. A faith that outlives you. A faith that, that lives to the next generation and even on to the third generation and so on. How can you live your life in such a way that you leave behind you as a father as a parent, as a grandparent, a legacy of faith. And so I believe that, that Deuteronomy 6 here gives us three things we can do towards living a life that leaves a legacy of faith. Three things that we can do here from God's word. Number one, that, that brings us to point one in your outline. Number one, a legacy of faith 
is the result of parents knowing the Word of God and teaching it to their children. Of parents knowing the Word of God themselves and teaching it to their children. Look at verses 5 and 6 again. God says that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. So right after that comes the command to teach children diligently. But before that, it's first telling the parents themselves to love the Lord their God with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their might, or with all their strength. With all of who you are to love God, your creator, who created you, who sustains you, who saved you through the blood of Jesus Christ, to love him with all of who you are. Parents can't begin to instruct their children about the Lord until they first have a new heart put within them by the Lord, a heart that loves God with all of their heart. And by the way, Matthew 22, when Jesus is asked, what's the greatest command in all of the law? Jesus points to this very verse right here. He says that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength or with all your mind. And that second, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus points to this verse as the greatest command in all the law. And really, I think this chapter in Deuteronomy 6 that we're reading is really the heart of the Torah. It's really the heart of the first five books of the Bible written by Moses. And, and, and these verses 4 through 9 here are verses that really every, every Jew in the world has, has memorized, whether they're religious or not, whether they're even atheist or secular or not. Every Jew has these words memorized because it's ingrained in them as the very heart of the Torah, the Shema of Israel, Hero Israel. So first, parents are commanded to have this word, uh, to love the Lord, the God with all their hearts. Then look at verse 6. Then it commands parents. It says, these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. This idea of, of the words being written on your own heart, you knowing the word of God yourself as a result of studying the word of God, as a result of meditating on the word of God, memorizing the word of God, that it's written on parents' own hearts so that they're then able to teach their children. It's, it's kind of like this. If you've ever flown on an airplane before, has anyone ever flown on an airplane before? I'm sure many of us in here have. That part when you get on the airplane and you're seated and you're, you're digging around in your bag maybe to get your snacks out and you're not paying attention as the, as the stewardess is giving all the flight instructions about where the exits are. And then they always say the same thing each time. They'll always say, in case of emergency... If the oxygen masks drop down, what do they say to parents? Yes, they say first put yours on, then put the oxygen mask on your child. Why do they say that? Well, because if you fail to put yours on first and you pass out or something due to lack of oxygen, then your child's on their own. They're really kind of in a hopeless situation. So, so the idea is the same way here in God's Word in Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's first, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all that is in you as parents. Love God because of who He is, because of what He's done th for you through Jesus Christ. Love Him. And number two, not only that, know the Word of God. Have this Word of God written on your hearts. Meditate it, memorize it, study it, so that you can then do what God's calling us to do in verse 7. So look at verse 
Look at verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall teach them diligently to your children. So that's, this, is the, this is the heart of point one that we're talking about, is that parents should take responsibility to j- diligently teach their children the word of God. And look at what it says to do. When you talk of them, when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise, it's, it's really talking about in all areas of life, when you're in the house, when you're outside the house, when you're walking around, when you're, when you're doing the daily routines in life, when you're going to bed, when you're waking up, these are times that you can talk to your children about God. And so at Bloomfield Baptist Church, we strongly encourage families to, to have family worship in their homes. Uh, we, have, we have resources on this if parents have more questions about this and what this looks like. But in general, a helpful pattern to remember for family worship is to read the Bible, uh, to sing together, and to pray together as a family. Uh, it's as simple as that. And, and again, we don't have time to go into all the details of what that looks like, but we encourage families to, to have a time in their own home that they set aside as a family together to look at God's Word together, to sing together to pray together, and for this to be a part of, their, of your children's life as they grow up in your home. It's just a regular routine in their life where they're constantly being fed the Word of God. But this passage not only describes regular times each day, such as when you lie down and when you rise, but it also describes a, it describes a lifestyle of talking about the Lord when you sit in your house or when you walk by the way. So what are the things that you talk about most often with your children? How, how could you talk more about the Lord, who he is, what he's done for us? Are you comfortable having those conversations, those deep conversations with your own children about the Lord? And so it says when you walk by the way, we don't, we don't often walk to, to places anymore these days, but think about how many hours each week you spend maybe driving your, your children to different places. So when you drive by the way, how could you use this time as a parent to talk to your children about the Lord, to talk to your children about their own faith, about their own walk with God? So again, the call here is to take responsibility for the discipleship and spiritual growth of your own children, not to simply outsource that to somebody else. Just think that, that a child may spend two to three hours at most at church each week, but around 50 waking hours at home each week. So the, the impact of the home cannot be overstated. Just simply the number of hours that they spend with you as parents each week, that's where they're going to have the greatest influence. Yes, of course, be a, be a member of a local church. Yes, of course, bring your children to church. We love to, to teach children the word of God. But it starts in the home from parents. And then notice verses 8 and 9. It says, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, on your forehead. You shall put them on your doorposts and on your gates. So what this looks like in Israel and uh, Jews today will literally do this. So even in our apartment building that we lived in, any, any, uh, any door or threshold that you walk through, there's what's called a mezuzah, a, a tiny little Torah scroll that's wrapped up and put on the door and and they'll often touch it when they walk in each door. So they take this commandment very literally. They literally put the word of God on their doors and on their gateposts. And I don't think that's what the heart of the command is here. I think the heart of the command 
is that the Word of God should be the foundation of your life. It affects everything you do, and it's, it's always before you, everywhere you go in life. Not just on Sundays, or not just on, at, at church, but when you go home, or at the gates of your community, this is what marks your life, is the Word of God, and your obedience to it, and, and a heart that loves God and obeys Him. So verses 4 through 9, they, they really look at the positive command of what, what God is calling parents to do, to teach their children diligently. But, but now the, the, the scriptures, the passage shifts here to more of a negative command to a warning for fathers and for parents. And so this really picks up in around verses 11 and 12. So this leads us to point two, is that a legacy of faith is the result of parents heeding God's warning to not forget him. And this isn't in your outline, but also really, and to not go after other gods or false gods. So look at verses 11 and 12 again. It says, when you have houses full of all good things. Do some of us have houses full of all good things? And verse 12 says, when you... Or at the end of verse 11, then when you eat and are full. Do some of us have, have so much abundance of food here in this land that, that, we're, that we're full, we're satisfied? We have enough. In fact, we have abundance. I think this, this, this warning applies to us, especially here in the American church when, where we live in a, in a land of prosperity and a land of abundance. Look at verse 12. It says, when you, when you eat and are full... Then take care lest you forget the Lord. Lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. So when things are just all good, when things are easy, when things are comfortable, be aware. Be alert. Don't be lulled into a spiritual slumber where things are just all good and you you forget your need for God and you just forget all about God. Oftentimes, crisis in life seem to wake us up. A crisis seems to wake us up spiritually where we, we begin to pray more and we begin to, to go to God more and we begin to, get, we, we begin to go to God's word more and we begin to talk to, with others more about God. But what about when things are just seem to be good? What about when our houses are full of good things and when we're eat and are full, God is saying, Warning, be aware that you're going to be prone, your heart is going to be tempted to forget me, to forget me, to forget all that I've done for you. Be warned. In fact, this is such a strong warning that just two chapters later in Deuteronomy 8, God basically gives the same exact warning. Listen to these verses, Deuteronomy 8, starting verse 7. It says, For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs, flowing out in the valleys and, and hills, a land of wheat and barley, vi- vines and fig trees and pomegranates, of olive trees, a land of honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, and a land in which you will lack nothing. And you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. But take care, again, take care, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules that I command you today. It goes on to say, 
Then your heart will be lifted up when your silver and when your gold is multiplied. When all that you have is multiplied, then your heart will be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. So again, I think this temptation applies especially to the American church who has so many things and so many opportunities that we can forget our great need for the Lord. So have you gotten to a place of such great comfort, of such abundance of, in life that you've forgotten the Lord? Where you have everything that you could want that it causes you deep down to think, well, why would I need God? Or why do I need a Savior? I, I have everything that I need. And again, all of these things, aren't, they're not sinful in themselves. It's not sinful to have money. It's not sinful to have these things. But the great temptation is is that it can tempt our hearts, again, to forget God and to be blinded to our great need for God, for Jesus Christ and salvation through him. Some of you may have read some C.S. Lewis books. Um, this is one of my favorite quotes from one of my favorite books of his, The Screwtape Letters. And The Screwtape Letters, is, it's a fictional book. It's a fictional set of letters written by Screwtape, who's this master demon, and he is training his apprentice, uh, Wormwood. And he, he's training him to become really a master demon like himself. And he's explaining how to tempt men or mortals to, to go farther away from the Lord, to not be close to God. And this, this young demon is so ambitious and so excited to get his his humans or his mortals to, to go into some big, great, catastrophic sin. And then Screwtape, the master demon, says this. He's telling him to not worry about those things, but instead he says, you will say that these are very small sins, and doubtless, like all young tempters, you are anxious to be able to, resport, to report spectacular wickedness. It does not matter how small the sins are, provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and into the nothing. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. It's the warning for us is just to, to drift into a mindset where we just forget about the Lord and we just drift into comfort and the simple pleasures in life and we forget our great need for the Lord. So fathers, let's not lead our families into this danger. Let's listen to God's warning. Let's lead our families to seek after the Lord with all of our hearts. Then look at verse 14. There's a second warning here. Look at verse 14. It says that you shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. And it goes on to say, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you off the face of the earth. So it's interesting that this warning comes right after the previous one, because you see our hearts were, were made to know and to worship the God of the universe. And as soon as we forget him, our hearts are going to go and worship other things. So I think there's a, there's a few cultural idols that, that we can be careful of as fathers to, 
to guard our families from. Uh, number one, the idol of self, the idol of self in our culture. It is no secret today that our culture is obsessed with the self. In 2013, uh, the Oxford English Di- Dictionary made selfie an official word, and it was the word of the year, selfie. So fathers, let's not, let's not parent our children in such a way that they think they are the center of the universe and believe that they themselves are little gods to be served by others. Another one we have to be careful about is, is sports in our culture. Sports have become such an idol in our culture, especially for our kids, and it's becoming increasingly more and more difficult for, for youth pastors like myself to work within the ever-demanding and expanding schedules of practices of games and tournaments that seem to go on year-round and often take priority over church. And so what does it tell your children about who God is if, when faced with the, with the decision of a scheduling conflict between church, a church meeting or activity or discipleship event, and a sports event if consistently your family chooses sports instead. So fathers, let's not lead our children to worship the false god of sports. Another one is success. So much pressure is put on kids today, especially teenagers today, to be successful, to achieve, to get the awards, to get the honors, to get the greatest scholarship. And if we, are, if we aren't careful, the amount of pressure and emphasis that we put on academic or career success seems to transcend the emphasis that we put on their discipleship as a follower of Jesus Christ. So fathers, let's not lead our children to value success more than following Jesus. And then lastly, another false god in our culture is really the false god of our own making, a false god that's just here to give us health and wealth and prosperity and give us all the things that we want and ask for, but who would never judge the sin in our lives. Who would never judge sins such as premarital sex or cohabitation or homosexuality or any other sin that he's clearly named in God's word, but this false God of the culture that seems to change over time as the culture changes. So fathers, let's not lead our children to believe the lies of the world, but to worship the one true God. So we're called as parents, as fathers, to lead our family to worship the one true God of the Bible, not the false gods of our culture, not to forget him. And we're called to lead our families, ultimately, to repent and to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That leads us to point three in your outline. Is that a legacy of faith is the result of a gospel-centered home. A legacy of faith is the result of a gospel-centered home. So look at verses 20 and 21 in Deuteronomy chapter 6. It says, When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and statutes and rules that the Lord your God has commanded you? So maybe, maybe you've been teaching them for years. Maybe it's just been a, a pattern in their life as they're little and don't even understand as much, and you're maybe reading the Jesus Storybook Bible or something like that. But now they're coming to an age where they have those big questions. Kids, kids start to get to an age where they have a question about everything, right? And so it's we're tempted to just ignore a lot of them. Maybe they get 
uh, annoying over time, all the questions, but pay attention when they are asking these big questions. Dad, what is the meaning of all of this? When your son asks you this, it says in verse 21 to say this, Then you shall say to your son, We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. So what is the father doing there? What is the parent doing there? It's pointing the kid back to how God saved us. We were slaves to sin. We were under the power and the penalty of sin. But God rescued us with a mighty hand. But God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross and pay the penalty for all of our sins so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be redeemed, so that we could have eternal life. And Jesus rose from the dead so that we could have new life in him. This is what we're called to bring everything back to in order to have a gospel-centered home. And I realize this word gospel-centered gets thrown around a lot, but basically it means this, that the gospel is so powerful that it affects everything that you do in your life. It affects the way you read the entire Bible in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It affects the way you teach the Bible and teach your children that we were slaves, but God delivered us with a mighty hand. One of the greatest tragedies is to raise kids who know many Bible stories, who know right from wrong, and generally, generally grow up to live a good, moral, or ethical life in society, but who do not trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. Who don't know or who don't believe the gospel. So we have to be careful not to just teach moralism, not to just teach our kids this, this moralistic view of God, but to teach our kids about the gospel of Jesus Christ, about God's saving hand, what he's done for us. And so it's interesting, this phrase, when your son asks you, or when your children asks you in time to come, it occurs a few more times throughout the Old Testament. So in Joshua 4, chapter 4, 6 through 7, after the Israelites cross over the Jordan River, uh, the, the Lord asks the people to set up 12 memorial stones. And, and, and the purpose of that is that so when one day the kids look at those stones and ask about them, it says you're to tell your children about how we crossed over on dry land, how the, how the Lord cut off the rivers, the, the water of the Jordan River. In Exodus 12, 26 through 27, the instructions for the Passover meal. It says when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service, by the Passover Seder that, that, the, that the people, Old Covenant people of God have? It says, you shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck down the Egyptians, but he spared our houses, and the people bowed and worshipped. Then Exodus 13, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and then the consecration of the firstborn. This phrase comes up again and again. It says, you shall say to your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And then when your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So this command is throughout the Torah, throughout the Old Testament, having these patterns in your life, doing these things to honor the Lord. And then when your children ask you about them, pointing them back 
to the gospel, pointing them back to how God saved us. And then these commands that he's given us that we're to follow today are a result of that because he has saved us, because he's put us in a good land. And it says there in verse 25 that it will be righteousness for us if we're careful to do these commandments. It's not talking about a, a, a righteousness in order to be saved. We know from Genesis 15 uh, that, that the Torah's view of righteousness is a righteousness that comes by faith, like Abraham had. But it's talking about a, 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 an ethical righteousness of how you're now to live as people who've been redeemed now in the land of promise, as, new, as God's covenant people. So what traditions do you have in your home that might point to the gospel of Jesus Christ? Does anyone in here celebrate Christmas or Easter? <laughs> I'm sure all of us do. Okay, these are obvious things that point to Jesus Christ. So, so to, not make these, to not make these moments in our home just all about Santa Claus or all about the Easter Bunny or something like that, but to ultimately point our children to the birth of Jesus Christ, to the perfect life of Jesus Christ, to the death of Jesus Christ, to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then the traditions that we have as a church from God's Word, such as baptism or the Lord's Supper, when, you're, when your children are here in church and they see these things, well, what, is, what does baptism mean, Dad? Why are they dunking someone in water? Why are we passing around? Why are we drinking uh, some grape juice and eating a little cracker what does this mean that's again that's one of the great points of the lord's supper is to do this in remembrance of me as often as you do it jesus said this points to the sacrifice the atonement of jesus christ so maybe you're sitting here this morning feeling conviction that you may have failed in many ways as a father or as a parent um, I, I've only been a father for about four months now, and I've already failed in many ways. Uh, the good news is, is that I have a grace period for a little while that Olivia will not remember. The bad news is that, is that uh, Adrian still has the memories from this time. But in all seriousness, if that's you this morning, under the weight of God's word, if you feel conviction, if you feel like you have failed in many ways as a dad the good news of the gospel of jesus christ is that we have a perfect heavenly father god and he sent his only son jesus christ to die on the cross to save dads who have failed and this god this perfect heavenly father has has adopted us into his own family and so you don't have to be the perfect father because God is. He's, he's our heavenly father, and he's made a way through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. But we are called, but we are called to hear God's word and to seek after the Lord with all our heart, to seek to obey him and to teach it to our children. And so dads, I think one of the greatest things that we can do in order to have a gospel-centered home is to not only teach our children the gospel and teach them about how Jesus died for them, 
But then when we fail as fathers, when we sin against them, when we provoke them to anger, as Ephesians 6 says, to tell them that Jesus died for us too. And to say that we're sorry and ask for their forgiveness. And let them know that, that we're all sinners and that Jesus died for moms and dads and grandparents and for children. He died for all of us. After my, my grandfather passed away, a few years ago, he was one of the greatest influences in my life spiritually. Um, we were going through some of his old things, and my grandmother found something in his bedside table and, and gave them to me to keep. And it was uh, the little, those open windows magazines, I think we even might have some out here in the foyer, that it's daily devotionals uh, to take home, to read at night or in the morning. And I looked through these, and as I flipped through the pages, my, I saw that my, my grandfather had written notes and all the margins up above and below the paragraphs on each page. And I noticed something as I flipped through the pages that over and over and over again, I saw my dad's name come up. Um, you know, that he was praying for me. I would see Mark come up over and over again, that he was praying for my dad and help Mark and his family. And then I would see my name come up in, on many of the pages. You know, I'm praying for David. You know, be with him, protect him, guide him, lead him. And, and uh, so I'm very grateful for the faith of my grandfather that was passed on to my father and that ultimately was passed on to me and that I hope to pass on to my children as well. And so ultimately, that was my grandfather's legacy for all the things that he did. <laughs> he has grandchildren that love the Lord, and children that love the Lord, and, and Lord willing, great-grandchildren that will love the Lord with all their heart, with all their soul. So are you personally trusting in Jesus Christ as a parent, as a grandparent? Do you have genuine saving faith? Do you love the Lord with all your heart? Do you have God's word written on your heart so that you can teach your children and your grandchildren? Does the gospel of Jesus Christ shape everything that you do? The way that you parent, does it shape all of your relationships? And what will be your legacy to your children and your grandchildren? What will you pass on to them one day? Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for uh, your grace, your mercy towards us. Lord, I thank you that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins so that moms and dads and grandmoms and granddads can be forgiven of our sins and children. Lord, we thank you for Jesus' obedience all the way to the point of death on the cross, that he shed his blood for us. Lord, I pray for anyone in this room who is yet to put their trust in you, to repent of their sins and put their saving faith in you. Lord, I pray that they would do that today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, during our time of our uh, response, you can stand and sing. I'll be right down front to pray with you if you need prayer, to, to talk to you about any decisions you want to make uh, for the Lord. Uh, I'll be here. Pastor Richard's here, so let's stand and sing.